listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Save the Marriage podcast. Welcome to episode number 370, What About Love? So what is the deal with love? I had a listener who said, you never talk about how to fall back in love. How can we get back the love we had, and why don't you think it's important? It's an interesting conversation. It's an interesting point. Because this listener is right. I haven't talked a lot specifically about love, and there's a specific reason. So let's first of all just go with one point I asked this person. So what is love, right? I responded back. So what do you mean by love? And I got a lot of, I don't know, but, and then there were several different thoughts about love. And I think that's the issue. When we're trying to talk about how do you restore love, the question is, what do you mean by that? Because a lot of times we get lost in this definition and someone will say, well, we just want to get the love back. And when I start pulling at the threads of that, it begins to look a lot different than love. So let's just kind of talk through some of the possibilities of what people mean when they say love. One is that feeling of of butterflies, of attraction. Or to put it in a different phrase, the feeling of infatuation. That really is the beginning point. Uh, A lot of people have talked now about affairs and limerence. The term limerence has come up many times when people are asking me, what does that mean? Well, limerence is just another way of describing infatuation. When you're infatuated with somebody, you're attracted to them for lots of possible reasons. Maybe you're attracted to their looks. Maybe you're attracted to their lifestyle. Maybe you're attracted uh, to how they present themselves, to their confidence, to lots of these different pieces that fall into that attraction piece. But let's be clear that there is this deep part of your brain and my brain that is triggered by something in other people. There's an attraction level. We're wired for that as humans because part of our wiring is like every other organism where we want to perpetuate the species. We want to pass our genes on because that is one of the prime motivators for uh, organisms in life to keep the process going, to keep our progeny going. And so part of what's going on there is a sexual attraction, some level of attraction to that person for those reasons. And it really does set the stage. Most people say that they're not going to approach someone where there is not some level of attraction. Now, what triggers that attraction, as I said, can vary. So we're not just talking about what somebody looks like. But that is a piece of the puzzle of this love thing of infatuation. Now, here's the problem. Infatuation has a shelf life. We know that from research that the feeling of infatuation is going to fade over time regardless of who you're infatuated with, regardless of the infatuation. It just cannot survive because the hormonal surge that's behind that at some point begins to calm down. So then we can ask the question of, we just fit, right? Maybe that's a definition you're using of love. We just fit. 
And many times that's like a really strong friendship. You just like to do things together. And over time, that ends up being something you define as love. Some people had defined love to me as we agree on everything. Now, let me be clear. That's a dangerous way of defining love because you won't always agree on everything. In fact, in my system, I talk about these levels of intimacy and the first level of intimacy is always pseudo-intimacy. Pseudo-intimacy is where we act as if we agree on everything. We don't disagree with this person that we have interest in. We act as if we are in agreement. This happens in organizations. It happens in relationships. I remember it happened when I met my wife. At that point, not my wife. My, at that point, not even girlfriend. This person that I found attractive. We started looking at all the things we had in common, all the things that we agreed on. We liked the same food, the same movies. We had the same family background. We enjoyed the same things. That was part of what we all do in establishing a relationship. And it took a while before we got beyond that and started talking about and thinking about the things that we didn't agree on. That didn't mean there wasn't love there. It's just a danger when we define it as, oh, we just agree on everything. So there's our problem. We could go on and on talking about love and what it means, and all we would do is have lots of different opinions about what that's about. That's our problem, defining love. It's a very difficult thing. Philosophers have been trying for millennia. Novelists have been trying for hundreds of years at least. Love stories have gone back. Love songs have gone back. If you just listen to love songs, it's interesting to see what they represent as love. When I was a college student, one of the things that I did was sociology studies, and one of the articles that I had published in a journal was actually about how the concept of love was changing in popular music. Now, if you take one step back, you just realize that the definition of love varies from person to person and from time to time. That's why it's very difficult to say, how do you get the love back? But does that make it a pointless question? Well, not really. Let's just talk for a minute about some of the things we know about love. One is that it can be a feeling, but it could also be an action, right? I mean, you can do loving actions, right? In fact, that's one of the things that unlocks what many major religions have been talking about about taking loving actions towards people that we don't even agree with. You know, loving our enemy, for instance, has been something that's been documented in many different uh, religious backgrounds. So what's the point of that? There was no expectation in that religious uh, thought that you were going to feel warmth or, or feel attraction to your enemy, but that you could act in kind, loving ways which is an important point for us to hold on for just a minute. Now, let's turn our attention to some of the things that have tended to be uh, the predictors of marriage success and research. This comes across a wide range of research experiments that looked at what kept people together, looked at different surveys, looked at different uh, interview platforms of of different people trying to determine why do marriages work. One of the big reasons 
that people said that marriages worked was because there was mutual validation. That was one of the sustaining factors in marriage, mutual validation. When you feel like somebody's always talking about what's wrong with you and what you're doing wrong and how you are just something is defective in you, for instance, I hear that a lot of times when people come in and their spouse keeps telling them about how they're so messed up from their family growing up, that's an invalidator. When we look at our spouse and look at the strengths that they bring and what they offer into the relationship, that's a validator. Feeling validated as a person is one of our core needs as humans. And the validation can come in lots of different ways. Our skills we have, our character, our personality, our looks. I mean, there's so many different places of validation. But what we know from research is that when couples do a good job of mutually validating each other, it points to long-term success in the marriage. Another one is shared core values. Now, this is something I do talk about in my Save the Marriage system, where most of the time people find others that have very similar values in, in their makeup, right? And, and when I say values, I'm not talking about whether you uh, share religious beliefs or political beliefs, but deep down, what are the core values that are around? Now, there are times when I have met with people who had conflicting core values, the deepest levels of values, conflicting core values. At one point, I remember when a couple came to me, um, one wanted to create a polygamous relationship, wanted to have multiple spouses. The other did not want that, wanted to have a monogamous relationship. Those are two very different core values. And in this case... They could not be reconciled. You, you had to go one way or the other, and that was my point with them. I told them I eventually I could not work with them because their core values were so different. I had another couple where uh, one's value was to be honest at all points in time, no matter what the consequences. The other's core value was to get whatever you could, no matter what the cost no matter what you had to do to get it, this was a go-for-it world. Those are conflicting values. This wasn't about whether they believed in uh, one kind of food or another or they believed in uh, Republican or Democrat or some other party. This was a core makeup. Most people have very similar core values when we get down to that and, and take off the varnish, get down to the, the heart of it. We find that their core values are the same. And that's a predictor of a strong marriage going forward because they have that to rely on. When they don't have core values, it's a predictor of problems in a relationship. Another predictor of uh, marriage success is, and it's two parts, self-expansion and support of self-expansion. So let's just for a moment take self-expansion as a concept. You probably are familiar with self-development and self-growth, which usually is about our psychological makeup and, and trying to grow our psychology, trying to grow our internal skill set. Self-expansion includes that, but it encompasses so much more. For instance, 
Self-expansion can include trying out new things, trying out new cuisine, trying out new places to travel, trying out new uh, styles of music or venues for entertainment or different movie genres or so many different things, right? When we want to expand into something else, try a new hobby, try a new activity, take on something new in your life. Maybe you decide uh, at midlife to write a book. That's self-expansion. Maybe it's a novel, that's self-expansion. The question is how we support each other in that. One person being uh, big into self-expansion is great, but the real magic here is when you're supporting each other. So why does it take both? Well, self-expansion means that somebody is bringing outside energy into the relationship. Let's say I decide that it's time for me to uh, try out a new cuisine and my, my spouse may say, yeah, I'm not really interested in that, but I get interested in it and I pursue that. Maybe I decide to learn to cook in that manner. And so I come home and I start cooking in that way. I might bring in some extra energy into the relationship because I have this new place of interest. Same with my spouse. Maybe my spouse decides to do the same thing and maybe I have no interest or have no knowledge of it at the beginning but I can support my spouse's interest and knowledge in it. In my own life, uh, my wife has always been very supportive of the places of my self-expansion, and I hope I've done the same for her. We have different places, though. I very much love the water. I grew up uh, going to the beach every summer and loving being around the water. So I like to paddleboard. I like to scuba dive. I like to swim in the ocean. I like to, uh, while I wasn't very good at it, I used to like to surf. I still like to body surf and do everything else I can in the water. And any kind of water, lake or river or ocean, doesn't matter. My wife's not much on being in the water. She might look like to look at the ocean or like to look at a lake or even a river, but not going to be much on doing those activities. And yet she supports me in that. She's the one who bought my uh, scuba lessons, my basic level of scuba certification. She bought those lessons as a gift to me. When I was interested in paddleboarding, she was the one who pushed me to go ahead and get a paddleboard. So she's pushed me and allowed me to expand into these areas that might not be of interest to hers. More recently, she gave me the time to go do jujitsu. That was not going to be her thing. We were not going to ever go roll together at the gym. But she was willing for me to do that. And as much as I can, I try to uh, do the same when I know that she has an interest to support that and push her to pursue that. And so we support each other's self-expansion. Can it include growing, maybe go to a seminar or an event? Sure. The danger is when we pressure somebody to expand in ways that we think that they should. Not whether they're expanding, but are we trying to force them into expansion? So many times people ask the question, how can I get my spouse to read your book or to to listen to your podcast? And my response is don't. Don't try to get somebody to expand in the way you want them to expand. Self-expansion truly is the self wanting that expansion. But what we do know from research is that successful marriages are made up of two people who are self-expanding and supporting the other in that expansion. The other one that is very common to see is commitment orientation. That is the heart of what I think is kind of a navigating point in a marriage. 
that's that point where you start off as kind of the North Star, as I call it, this the North Star or the foundation of your relationship. You've made a commitment to each other. You made a promise, right? That is the marital vows. We're going to be together no matter what, all the way till the end of our lives. That's what this marriage is about. And because of that long-term strategy, it changes how you do everyday life. What do you do with a conflict if you say, well, we're going to be together for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, potentially? You can't just let it go, right? You have to solve it and get through that, which is different than saying, I've just got to tolerate you until you know this point in life. So a commitment orientation means that you have a long-term outlook on this. You see how this keeps moving forward, and therefore you orient around how to solve problems differently. The commitment orientation or the commitment focus also means that you're building on that foundation. Whatever you do from here is based on that place. So you can navigate from it. You can build on it, either one. Now, I talk about this as the North Star uh, in my Save the Marriage system because it's always there. The North Star, at least if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, is always pointing north. No matter where you are, you can orient and say, oh, there's the North Star. That means that that way is north. So maybe it gets cloudy, right? Maybe you're out on the ocean and it clouds over and you have a storm and you don't know quite what to do. But when it all clears, you go, oh, that's my orientation. It's the same with the commitment. You can orient around that and keep the relationship going. So commitment-focused relationships also do very well in surviving. There is one other factor that also leads to marriages that are successful, and that is fair fighting, that both people work to fight fairly when there's a conflict, that they find some way of solving that without allowing it to uh, be a personal attack or without it expanding into other areas and to get to a solution that works for everybody there. As I've said many times, conflict is about progress, not about an attack. So couples who fight fairly, who deal with their conflicts in a fair way, in a way that is growth-oriented, also do well long-term. Now, having said those pieces, I want you to notice what's not there. No point has love been shown to be the heart of a successful marriage. Now, you can assume it's background because if you're doing those things, maybe the love is there, but the research doesn't show a way of doing that for a couple of reasons. One is, as we said earlier, it's hard to define. Two is because it's not reported that way by people when they interview them. So we have to make a love shift in a relationship. And this is the same love shift that happens in any relationship. When people come to me and say they want to get back to that loving feeling again, what they're really telling me about is what they remember from the very beginning, a feeling infatuation. And sometimes it comes because that's the point when they felt the connection. They felt the depth. Sometimes it's because somebody in the relationship has had some infatuation with somebody outside of the marriage that reminded them of something they felt before and haven't felt for a long time, therefore assuming the love has been missing. That's really what fuels affairs, as I talk about in my uh, book, Recovering from the Affair. That's one of the fuel. The rocket fuels is infatuation. And the problem is you're comparing a new relationship to an older relationship when that happens. 
So this love shift that we're looking at is from understanding it as infatuation, which is that feeling, the uh, driver of connection, by the way, to connection. So let me go through that just one more time. Whenever you meet somebody and you're attracted to them, there may be some level of infatuation, right? That was certainly true in the beginning uh, of my relationship with my, my spouse. I saw her when she walks in my college dorm room, and I thought, wow, she's cute. And she talked with me a little bit, and I thought, wow, she is really cute. And that infatuation, that feeling, is what led me when she came. So if you don't know the story... I'm in my room. It's a Friday afternoon. Uh, my roommate is there, and my uh, now wife walks into my room. At that point, I just met her very briefly through a friend, and she said, hey, I hear y'all are going to a movie tonight, and I was tossing a ball into the air, and I said, yeah, we are, and then it occurred to me that she wasn't just kind of bringing that up. I said, would you like to go with us, and she said, I would love to, so she rode in my car. And I made sure because of that little infatuation, that attraction, initial attraction, that I was going to sit beside her. And by sitting beside her, she chatted with me during the movie, probably much to the chagrin of everybody around us. And she goes with us to a McDonald's afterwards, and I make sure I sit with her. And the infatuation grew. But so did the connection because of that infatuation. And so the infatuation leads us naturally into deeper levels of connection in a relationship. And at some point, as the infatuation begins to fade a bit, the connection can take over. But connection, the feeling of connection, is fueled by action. It's not just this nebulous thing, right? When I do things to connect with my spouse and she does things to connect with me, we feel more connection. And because of that, we can still feel that feeling, right, that infatuation feeling at some level, that feeling of attraction when it's fueled by action. But connection changes love to the verb, where you do love, not you feel love, but you do love. And if you do that on a regular basis, you continue to feel the love, which is why I don't talk about the feeling the love very much in my process leads us to what I consider to be two of the marriage problems, and they 2x each other. So one of the marriage problems is a connecting issue. You might have hit the pause button on your marriage thinking that you would come back to it. That's the, the pause button marriage as I talk about it is when the kids are coming along or you're working on the career or something else, you hit pause. And you think, we'll come back to this. You know, we'll eventually get back to ourselves at some point down the road when the kids are grown, when the career has been made, when whatever has happened, we'll come back to this. Only to discover that the connection has crumbled along the way. Relationships are either growing or receding. They're not stagnant. So if you hit the pause button, it's receding, unbeknownst to you until you realize it in the midst of a crisis. So we have a connecting issue, and then we also have an expansion issue where people aren't expanding in their lives. This covers the first two of my three C's of saving your marriage, of connecting and changing yourself. The third one is in creating new path because most people don't realize that they're trying to build a we 
That is the clincher for these problems. The we is the commitment part. And so because of this, at some point in life, most of us get a bit stagnant. We stop exploring the world as much. We stop moving around and finding new things as much. And because of that stagnation, we're not bringing energy into our own lives and therefore into our relationship. And that compounds each other. A connection issue and an expansion issue combined together is where we have the largest number of marriages, marriage problems where the marriage begins to crumble. So what do we have to do? Well, from that, you already know the answer, connecting and growing. And when we're connecting with our spouse, when we're building that connection, and when we're expanding in our own life, so we're finding our own place of happiness and of fulfillment, guess what comes out of that? The feelings of love. The love that I didn't have to talk about because that's not the beginning point. If I were to say to you, okay, the way you save your marriage is for both of you to fall in love, you would still be just as stuck, except for now there's the confusion of what do I mean by love and what do I mean by falling in love? And the formula of that is about building the connection and expanding yourself. Now, that's very simplified. I wanted to talk about why I don't talk much about love when I'm talking about this, because it's not the starting point. It's the outcome. When people want this as the solve place, you don't solve it by that. You build towards that. That's what I talk about in the Save the Marriage system. I talk about how do you rebuild this connection? How do you understand marriage in a way that you haven't? And how do you work through it, even if you're the only one wanting it right now. Now, here's the thing. Some people are like, okay, so your program is only for people who are working by themselves. No, actually, that's part of who can use the program. One of the things that has flattered me time and again is when people have said, I wish that people had to use your system before they got married. Because what they're telling me is I've kind of told them what the secret of marriage is that they never knew before. And the fact is that my Save the Marriage system has been used by people who have both said, we want our marriage to be different, and so we're going to work on that together, and by people who are the Lone Ranger. They're the only ones who are at this point wanting to work on it because their spouse has lost hope. Both of them are probably feeling the hurt, the pain, and perhaps both of them at this point don't even know how to move forward. Maybe you and your spouse don't know how to move forward. And maybe part of that is that you still have some hope, so you can work on that by yourself. But think about what would happen if both people wanted that. That makes it an incredibly powerful process. But if not, you can still do that by yourself. If you're confused by all of this and you're really wanting to dig down and you realize that just falling back in love is not an answer, It's a description of what might happen down the road, and you want to know how to start the process. Check it out by going to savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. Now, one of the things I like to do is to make sure that you're kind of front-loaded with the information you need is I offer you, after you grab the system, a free week of my VIP virtual intensive program. One week free. There's no obligation. You just have to claim it. I'm not going to force it on you. You have to sign up for that. And... 
to make sure you have the best chance of, of the best start, I can also have one of my coaches contact you. Now, I don't force that on you either. You have to claim that from your download page. You go to your download page that we provide you with and you click the uh, coaching button. Give us a little information and we'll have one of the coaches contact you for a get started session. Doesn't happen on the spot. You get a chance to schedule that and make sure it fits for your schedule and to make sure that it fits into what you need when you need it. Again, the starting point, savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.